The Old Testament lesson this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. If you'd like to follow along, you can do so on page 657 in your pew Bible. Listen now for the word of the Lord. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his teachings. Thus says the Lord, thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, and from the darkness those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. The New Testament lesson this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. And that may be found on page 936 of your pew Bible. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through the surrounding country. And he began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. And when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him, and they began to say, Today this scripture, he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself, and you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that you, we have heard that you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. 
But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine all over the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. And there were also many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet of Elisha. And none of them was cleaned except Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard all this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. And they got up and they drove him out of town and led him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built. So that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. With those words, the Apostle Paul opens many of his epistles and engages fellow servants in the ministry of Jesus Christ with him. (laughs) And I can think of no better salutation on this occasion as we begin our term of service together, our ministry here. I don't know if it'll be for three months or six months or a year. No one knows at this point how long it will be. But we have the opportunity to serve in this ministry together. And with that in mind, I say once again, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I do want to take just a moment to thank you for the wonderful hospitality and encouragement that you have offered to me since my arrival last week. And I very much look forward to serving with you here at Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church. Presbyterian churches have many things in common, but they also have their own distinctives and peculiarities, and I've been trying to learn a lot of those. I feel at times as though I'm uh, trying to get a drink of water through a fire hose, so much is coming at me at one time, but uh, I hope in time I will learn the ropes and may even learn most of your names. I may never learn all of your names, but I'll make a concerted effort about that. Our next newsletter, I'll write something about some of the names uh, in uh, our congregation here But I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to serve in this place with you for the time that God allows us. And it's an exciting uh, occasion. New beginnings are exciting in and of themselves. Last week, Charles and Kim both reminded us of uh, the freshness of turning to a new calendar. You have all these pages, all these blank spaces that haven't been filled up. So it's a time at the beginning of each year to kind of think about the future and all of the possibility and potential uh, that is there. And when a new minister comes on board, that's a new beginning as well. And there's some excitement in that. If you're one who loves uh, the church and have been a part of it for a while, I can still remember when three different ministers came to my home church in Mississippi when I was growing up. I remember their first Sundays there. I remember what they looked like and their families that were with them. Uh, At any rate, uh, this is a new beginning for you and for me, for us together. And so we need to make the most of it. Uh, there are not enough new, mem- uh, new beginnings in life. Uh, you know, lovers are wed, babies are born and baptized, new jobs are entered, new schools are entered, uh, new careers are formed, new officers are installed in churches. Uh, It's a wonderful thing when something new is beginning because it's full of promise and potential. And that is true in the church, too, as we work and serve together. But as we think about this ministry that we are undertaking now, uh, I will direct our thoughts to this passage 
that Dunn read from it's Luke's account of the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus in his hometown, in his home synagogue in, in Nazareth. Because there's something critically important you and I need to understand and embrace when it comes to this ministry we're going to share together. And I'd call your attention to this by focusing on four different pronouns. Four different pronouns. One is first person singular possessive, my. I have my ministry. But I'm not at the beginning of my ministry. I've been in ministry for some time. I was thinking just this week, when would I say my ministry began? I suppose it was back when I was 15 years old. I had a friend in the Methodist church who was uh, considering going into the ministry as well. And so we organized weekly devotions at the Madison County Jail in Mississippi and did that for six or eight weeks until uh, the sheriff decided we shouldn't do it any longer because we were getting both black and white uh, prisoners together for our time and they wanted them kept separate so anyway they stopped our devotions we were having uh, but I guess my ministry kind of began in that setting and I've been ordained since 1972 so I've been about ministry for some 45 or so years so this is only a part of my ministry that I will be sharing with you but what we're initiating today is not my ministry the ministry of the church ought never to be reduced or identified with the pastor, male or female, who happens to be serving at that time. It's a dangerous thing to think about the church in that respect. There's an old story told about uh, a man driving through a little town in East Tennessee one Sunday morning and being a member of the Church of Christ, he decided he'd work at, worship at the local church. And so entering the town, he saw an older fellow walking along the road and he stopped him and he said, could you tell me where the Church of Christ is? He thought for a second and he looked ahead and he said, well, you see that red brick building up there? That's Dr. Jones's church up there. And if you turn around and look in the back way you came, that white steeple, that'd be Brother Douglas's church over there. But this Mr. Christ, I don't think he has a church in this town. <laughs> Sometimes it may seem like that. We become so possessive of my church or your church or our church. It's Christ's church. That's where we're headed with this sermon today. And if it's not my church that we're initiating or my ministry, neither is it your, your church. And your is second person, either singular or plural, possessive. This ministry is not yours. You have your ministry here. I understand there's some 81 different kinds of ongoing ministries here in and through Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church. Uh, so many of you are involved in various aspects of the ministry of this congregation. And as a corporate group, you have your ministry too. This church has been engaged in ministry since the early 1800s, and many of those ministries are continuing and they're flourishing, and perhaps others will be started, who knows, in, in the coming months. But here again, that's not the focus of what we're about. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not even about us. And so another pronoun is our there's a sense in which my ministry and yours coalesce to form our ministry together for how long that will be. But it's really not about us either, is it? It's really about Jesus. So the pronoun we need to think about is third person, singular, possessive. This is Christ's church. And that's the ministry that we are continuing. It's been going on in this place for a long time. We're only continuing it. Uh, Dr. T.W. Manson was uh, actually the moderator of the Church of Scotland. I know I think it was a Presbyterian church in England, but he was a Scot. But he was a wonderful biblical scholar. And he wrote this on one occasion. There is one essential ministry 
the only ministry that is unquestionably essential. And that is the ministry which our Lord Jesus Christ opened in Galilee after John the Baptist had been put in prison. The ministry where he continues today through the church, which is his body. The life of the church is the continuation of the messianic ministry that Jesus began and which can be defined by the public career of Jesus, his teachings and his acts. Now what Manson says there is powerful and pertinent for what we're about in our ministry. Uh, because we're only continuing and carrying on that ministry that has been entrusted to us. Christ has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And our ministry together ought to reflect Jesus' ministry as he understood it and practiced it. Not in literal detail, of course, because the times and circumstances have changed, but certainly in its redemptive character, in its compassionate concern, and in its overarching purpose. Um, so with that in mind, let's just look at how Jesus' ministry began there in Nazareth and what we can learn from it. There are three things I would call your attention to. The first is, I want you to know, notice where Jesus goes to lay the foundation for the work that he's about to do. Even more important than noticing where he goes, his hometown and his home synagogue in Nazareth, notice where he doesn't go. He doesn't go to Rome, which was the political center of his day. He doesn't go to Athens, that was the cultural center of his world at that time. Neither does he go to Jerusalem, which is the religious center for his people, at least. No. He goes to those people, ordinary folks, that knew him, that remembered him, that knew that this was the son of Joseph the carpenter and Mary, people who remembered his awkward adolescent years, his childish pranks, perhaps. And so he starts his ministry there. That's where the ministry of the church has to start. It's not where it's going to end, but it has to start there. And so we need to think about how are we sharing in the ministry of Jesus Christ? How are we reflecting his love, his compassion, his forgiveness right here among our own kind? Because if it doesn't happen in the church and within the walls, it won't happen very effectively beyond the walls out in the world. So our ministry together is going to focus on our strengths and how we can support and encourage one another serving together in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. As in our Lord's day, there are many differences in this congregation, and that's a good thing. There need to be differences. Differences political, differences cultural, difference even with respect to some of our religious preferences and liturgical preferences perhaps. But that's okay. We need these differences to learn and grow from one another. But let us not get too preoccupied with what dif differentiates us one from the other. Let us not pay too much, so much attention to what's going on in the political realm in Washington or in the cultural realm in New York or L.A. or in the uh, ecclesiastical realm in Louisville that we become divided or distracted from the work of Jesus Christ right here. So let's focus first and foremost on what we're doing as people of faith right here. I know this congregation has gone through some challenging times in recent months, but there's a strong and solid base here. There's some wonderful leadership present in this church. There's so much good work that has gone on in the past that we can build upon. We can forget things that may have happened that were negative, 
although we learn from them, and we can build upon the good work that's been accomplished by those who've preceded us. Secondly, not only does this passage call attention to where ministry begins in the footsteps of Jesus, but it reminds us that if our ministry is really his ministry, it ought to reflect his focus. Not mine, not yours, not even ours. What is it that Jesus was about and calls us to be about? And so when he went to that very familiar synagogue in Nazareth, he was the reader, apparently, the teacher for the day. He was given a scroll from the book of Isaiah. He opened it up, chose this particular passage, which is one of the servant songs of Isaiah that identified and shaped his self-understanding of what he was about. And he reads it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And having read that, he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down and said something quite remarkable. He said, today this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now whether we like it or not, whether we approve it or not, whether we enjoy it or not, the ministry and the work here described is what we have been commissioned to carry on. And wherever we see and hear good news being proclaimed, wherever we see captive people being liberated from whatever it is that enslaves them, their own version of sin or their addiction or their materialism or their injustice, whatever it is that enslaves people, when they're being liberated from those captors there, the hand of God is at work as well. Whenever we see vision being restored, the lame being enabled to walk, there the hand of God is at work, and there is where the disciples of Jesus Christ ought to be found, engaged in what Christ is continuing to do in our world, if our ministry is to reflect his character. Thirdly and finally, not only does this initial beginning of Jesus' ministry uh, tell us the place where ministry began and begins or the character that our ministry ought to have, but it also helps us to see the extent, the reach of Christ's ministry into the world. That's where Jesus got into trouble with the crowd. An illustration, just a twofold illustration, talking about what he had been uh, commissioned to do, and then he tells a story that gets people so upset and angry that the crowd turns nasty and mean, and they're ready really to throw him off the edge of the cliff there in Nazareth to take his life. What does he say that's so offensive? He reminds them of the extent of God's love. He tells them that back in Elijah's day, when there was a famine in, in the land, the prophet was sent not to any of the Jewish widows, but rather to a widow, a Gentile woman in Zarephath. That was bad enough. But he goes on to say, in Elisha's day, when there was a leprosy, was the plague of the land, the only one that the Lord healed was Naaman, a Syrian of all things. And the people become livid. Why? These are their enemies. These are the people they dislike the most. And yet, here is Jesus saying, that's where the love of God ought to extend. You ought to be reaching them. And if we're carrying out the work of Jesus Christ, can't... It may begin in these walls, but it's got to get beyond here into, here into the world. Even among those people we may not even want to reach. 
would rather not reach out to, would not rather get saved or healed or helped or loved in some way. That's our calling, as difficult as it may be. So while the crowd at first there in Nazareth feel real good about this young man that's teaching them, thinking, well, he's going to make a great rabbi someday and we've helped nurtured, nurture him, they quickly turn when he reminds them of the extent of the love, the extravagant love of God for all people. When he reminds them that they are not just the recipients of this love, but they're to be conveyors of it to the whole world. You and I, my friends, are charged and commissioned to be agents, ambassadors of Jesus Christ, reaching out to a world that is in short supply of liberation and good news and healing and help. So that's still our calling. And it's a difficult calling at times. We would be much more comfortable in the faith and enjoy church life a whole lot more if we could just build some beautiful facilities and populate them with people who look and think and act just like us. But this would be an outright rejection of the Lord and a denial of the ministry that he has entrusted to us. And so a ministry that is like Christ's ministry a ministry that follows his leadership and guidance is not about our personal agendas, whatever they may be. It's about what he would have us do once we are renewed and equipped to move out into the world in compassionate and liberating service to others. I would close with a quote from the 17th century cleric John Bunyan. It seems appropriate for this day. Bunyan writes that a church is not measured in greatness by the beauty of its architecture or the ability of its ministry, but by the people who truly live and serve faithfully that for which the church stands. Let us stand together in our time together for Jesus Christ and for that ministry he initiated in Galilee so long ago and has now entrusted to us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.